0: Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, hold on. Before we go any further, um, I think we have to acknowledge that that we're gonna talk about the entire show.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is your spoiler warning for the Jabberwocky because it's still running for a few more weeks. Uh, we're we're talking about all the details of the plot. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're planning on going and you don't want to know those things, maybe uh, maybe skip
0: ahead a little. I don't get it. <laughs>
1: hello everyone
0: good morning
1: it's wherever you're listening i hope it's a nice morning even if it's the evening
0: yes hello i'm fonda
1: i'm paul this is i don't get it uh, a podcast about performance in YEG, aka edmonton Yeg. aka. The city we live in.
0: Do you always say Yeg or do you find most people say Y-E-G? I never can get it right.
1: I say Yeg. 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 Yeah, It's just simpler that way.
0: It's just fine. I think Um, that we should have some kind of citywide marketing campaign that emphasizes the egg part of Yeg.
1: Right. Wiki, wiki eggs and vicky. All right, we. Um, <laughs> oh my god, we saw a lot this on. week. Let's move on. We had a big couple of weeks. Uh, what did we see as an overview, Fonda?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, we saw um, Alberta Ballet's Dangerous Liaisons, we which did. is a remount of their. Um, they they originally did it in two thousand eight, and I think that the the ballet itself was created a couple of years before by Jean hmm. um for the Norwegian National Ballet.
1: Ah. Yes, and then uh, and then you saw a show that I did not see.
0: Yes, the day right after that, uh, Brian Webb Dance Company was presenting Joshua Beamish uh, in a solo show called Lone Wolf. So he did three so- the single dancer did three solos by different choreographers, one of them being his own. Um, and yeah, and I saw that the next day.
1: Great, and then together we saw the Jabberwocky um, by Old Trout Puppet Workshop. Um, A company best known for maybe famous puppet death scenes Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, Don Juan, the erotic anguish of Don Juan. Yeah,
0: and they did a show called Ignorance, Mm -hmm. too. And they're, they they've done lots of stuff, but and they this was sort of one of our first forays into the non dance dance stuff, I guess.
1: Sure, as a, as a podcast, yes. As people, not so much. Oh yeah, no, we, we yeah, we've seen a bunch. It's true. Um, but let's 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 start at the beginning.
0: Let's start with Dangerous Liaisons, mm-hmm. Paul. So this was your first shot at seeing this this ballet.
1: Yes. Have you seen it before? Did you see an earlier version of it?
0: You know. I don't know. I don't think I did, Um, but I know that I have seen um, a lot of other forms of this story. I mean, there's like the great John Malkovich film and all that kind of stuff. Because this is,
1: the story is based on a book that became a movie?
0: Yes, Um, a book, an 18th century novel um, that was, became movies and radio plays and plays and all sorts of things. So-
1: it's had a good run. Yes, um, yes. It's possibly where the phrase "seduce and destroy" was coined in. Probably. Um, when that that came up as we were watching it, and I was like, "Oh, huh, is that where that's
0: from?" Yeah, probably. Well, what's funny to me is that it is such an insanely complex story um, to be told, to be told by a movement company. Um, that, that I think there's like enough challenge in that itself. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
1: And so, so the way it they they did that or uh, worked on that is um, they sort of had a scrim sort of cutting the the stage uh, the depth of the stage in half and sort of in the back was a lot of pantomime and there was a lot of voiceover that was often structured as these two characters writing letters back and forth about each other and giving us a lot of exposition and context as they went Um, but then on stage uh, in front of that uh, some of the characters who were in that pantomime would have sort of like on stage equivalents who would be dancing, as well as mm-hmm. other sort of more abstract characters. There are people in the, um, there are dancers in the in the bill who are listed as the white angels or the black angels, and yeah, sort maybe. of these more abstract concepts around this story of revenge and and lust and and
0: and and lots of just like non consent and <laughs> like bad things yeah not <laughs> not a kind of a,
1: a very problematic story for for this day and age
0: yeah i mean of course the themes are still relevant so in that way an interesting story to tell but what what got me what irked me a little bit while we were watching this is that there's all this sort of beautiful Pomp and lush set pieces and costumes in this sort of upstage world of the theater. Full costumes, yeah. Full-on costumes. Um, And this kind of, like, very sort of, you know, dense voiceover that's very mysterious and sensual and, you know, frankly quite taunting mm-hmm. of, of each other in all of these letters. It's just like, well, when are you going to do what I said you should do? Well, I'm not, because I'm <laughs> going to do
1: this other thing and it's going to yeah. sleep with this person instead of the person you want me to sleep with. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, and she's like, well, I hate you. Let's just she's <laughs> like, uh, I,
1: maybe I love you? <laughs> no, I hate you too.
0: Yeah. Is uh, Anyway, so that's what's going on upstage. And then downstage there's all this actual really fabulous dance. Um, Jean-Grand is a great choreographer. I love watching his neo classical stuff because the bodies create all these really sort of arcane, strange shapes. Like sometimes they look like gargoyles. Other times Mm -hmm. they were these weird, you know, like especially the angels, these corps de ballet they're They're, you know, scuttling across the stage in sort of like a sinister way. And yeah. And you can like it feels dangerous. It feels threatening. Um, But you couldn't you sort of couldn't see it. Or you couldn't pay enough attention to it or notice enough of the dance because there's always all this other stuff going on behind them
1: right there wasn't really a sense of give and take between the what was happening behind the scrim and sort of in this pantomime and and the stuff on stage uh, which tended to get a little busy and especially because it is a very narrative story for ballet to be telling mm-hmm. um, that it sort of got a bit convoluted in in that telling where it was sort of like wait who who's who
0: who's yeah. who's
1: doing what to whom and mm-hmm. and sort of the the emotional uh, arc of that sort of stayed um, stayed fairly fairly still, um, I'd say once it got going.
0: Yeah, I think what sort of confused me the most is that th- there was duplication between the worlds, but it was either it was either not enough or too much to enhance the story or to help the story along. So there there is there are two of each character, um, but r- you know, frankly there didn't need to be. A lot mm-hmm. of the characters either, you know, don't have enough sort of to do or or their story is so complex that maybe they're better just to be in the theater and have that abstract expression of whatever they're feeling, which is what I think the angels were so like the the that was their task really. Mm-hmm. And I think they did that really well. But then also to have the characters um duplicated in front and frankly not an en- there's not enough parallel between what they're doing to realize that they're always the same character Mm -hmm. um, in the theater world and in the ballet downstage world.
1: Right, because the costuming was very different because Mm -hmm. in in front they had to dance in, in whatever they were wearing and behind they just had to and sort of sell it with pomp and,
0: yeah. and all of these
1: things going on. And every
0: so often, you know, uh, simple gestures would match up. Sure, yeah. Um, but that was kind of some of the only clue that you really got. You were like, oh, that's that person. Oh, okay, right, gotcha. Yeah, yeah and, on, <laughs> and
1: off the top when with the sort of first character, it was sort of like they set it up very well where it was like, oh, the, there's one character in this pantomime and one character sort of focused on stage and mm-hmm. they were doing the same gestures to sort of link them. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a little hard to follow um, periodically throughout. What about... The dancing, Fonda, what stood out about the movement in this piece? You talked a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, um, I talked about the angels already. So the other mm-hmm. parts that I really appreciated in the dance world were the pas de deux, the, t- the duets between all these sort of different matches of lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the night that we saw it, Kelly McKinley and Aina Gutierrez were playing um, these, t- the, so Kelly w- McKinley was playing the sort of male evil main role, um, mm-hmm. the val- Valmont, I think he's Sure, name.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And um, Ina Gutierrez was playing the woman that he was pursuing who was this very chaste and um, you know, sort of demure woman who was her husband. As as I read through the notes in the plot outline, her husband is out of town, so he's trying to take advantage and bed her. Well, um, you know, and so, but the the cat and mouse sort of chase that happens between them, I really I thought that that was really nicely done. And the heart, the most heartbreaking part of the show is mm. after he sleeps with her, she goes crazy, joins a convent, and dies. Um, and that like that dance was just it was I thought it was really beautiful. She's just. Mm-hmm. It, absolutely devastated and and yeah and it shows how how these like sort of just like assholes out there can just destroy women and then leave Mm -hmm. and oh anyway sorry I'm just like yeah getting a little over the whole Weinstein shit (laughs) guys sorry this is is all still really raw
1: (laughs) yeah um, yeah absolutely and yeah that was like maybe um the most affecting part of the the whole show was sort of the where um there was three or four sort of nun dancers on stage mm-hmm. i guess and then and then this character who's been sort of like so put through the ringer um emotionally and 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 sort of the the dance they sort of do where these these nuns are in and very much in what seems like lockstep and and know the choreography mm-hmm. so to speak, and this other character is sort of not not quite there and sort of affected by things um uh, absolutely had uh, had a very devastating effect that maybe other parts of this narrative um, didn 't didn 't seem to land as well yeah uh, also the music throughout this whole piece was gorgeous and mm-hmm. really um, really highlighted everything uh it was great
0: yeah the score was really effective and even particularly in the part with the nuns um and and her dancing with them because that was like this really sort of monastic chanting kind of but also but like a very like it was it was like a falling drone like it, mm-hmm. it kept going down and down and down and you could like literally hear this descent that her character is going through it was really really beautiful work with the score
1: great so that was Dangerous Liaisons.
0: Yeah. Okay, now on to... uh... Joshua Beamish. Yeah,
1: it was called Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. Lone cause, Wolf. Because
0: that was him. He was the guy dancing right. on the stage. He,
1: he was the Lone Wolf.
0: Um, only guy. Of course, after Brian's obligatory intro in the very beginning. Um, yeah, so Joshua Beamish, uh, uh, Edmonton-born dancer, uh, now I believe based out of Vancouver, but he's kind of been all over the place. He's mm-hmm. He recently um, had a big show at the Brooklyn Music Conservatory or something. Like it was just, He's been going really... Really big lately. cool, so anyway, um, the th- three pieces that he has this lo- on this lone wolf program the first one was called Radios, this was the one that he choreographed himself, okay. Or he choreographed with um, Amy Henderson and his, and himself. Okay, so um, it's kind of an interesting piece. He starts out in sort of like a baggy sweater and uh, almost like a kilt type of thing with some boots. And um, somewhere in the costume, he's wearing a radio or a little bit of a speaker, so that you okay. can hear, you know, static and music coming from it. It is not on all the time. Most of this piece is actually done in silence. Um, but yeah, you can sort of it was it was interesting the way that he kind of he he set up the movement as just this sort of weird balancing act to begin with um like single foot you know kind of trying to and over over time you start realizing like maybe he's trying to be an antenna like he's trying to grasp a single Uh. signal or something like that um but yeah, I, you know, watching it I was just kind of like, is this more sort of like a technical thing? Like, does he have to move like this to make it work? Or is it just kind of like, he's just sort of playing around with how long he can balance and do all these things on one foot.
1: Sure. Did you notice um, there was a, a difference sort of when there was the radio on in his movement versus when, when it was sort of in silence? Was there sort of a back and forth between those two elements?
0: Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like he was more grounded once there was some sort of sound coming out of it. Cool. So like the other foot would, uh, would sort of lay down but he also did some kind of really interesting contortion type movement like he'd you know wrap himself into a pretzel and his Whoa. feet were bending in really strange ways i have to say that the shoes where he was wearing were white on there were lighter on the bottom so you could really see the way that his foot would twist and be like that looks unnatural <laughs> wow cool um so that was interesting um the second piece uh was called concerto mm-hmm. um and this is the piece oh actually this piece was um choreographed by josh beamish himself as well it's so it's set to a uh, a uh, bach concerto okay um and it, he comes out in a pair of white jeans um and it's essentially just like really pretty classical dancing with a little bit of coyness and winks to the audience and things like that
1: okay sort of coyness and winks about sort of the technical movement he's doing or is there like a character that's being portrayed or is there any sort of sense of story in air quotes that no one can see on a podcast?
0: It feels like it felt it felt very preening like it felt okay. like there was sort of you know kind of just like this is me and and I, I he knows he looks great doing this dance because mm-hmm. he's like a classically trained dancer in tight white jeans the music is beautiful and lovely and it's just sort of you know that's kind of like Fantasia springtime moment <laughs> Great, great um, Yeah and I think that this was this was the part where this, actually of the three pieces this was my favorite one to watch mm. maybe it's because I was watching so much you know neoclassical ballet before right um but yeah this one was technically you could see like wow this guy can dance and move and he's also just like he knows it (laughs)
1: sure was there was there a movement that was uh perhaps most illustrative or, or most uh impressive or interesting
0: I mean, I think that with this one, there were there was a there were a lot of, um, you know, good jumps and spins, like pretty classical ballet, like Chene spins across the stage. And like, you know, I think that it's rare to see a single male dancer on stage um, doing ballet. Okay. Um, sure, yeah, You know, we see a lot of contemporary male dancers um, doing other sorts of things in solo. Um, but to just see like a solo male performer, even in the ballet itself, is kind of rare. There's usually like a duet or they're always paired with a woman or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, in that way, it was kind of neat just to watch someone do something like fairly traditional, but also with this sort of just like coyness and sexiness to it
1: um do you think there's uh, something in watching that with a with a solo dancer versus often in ballet as you say there's like pairs or, or big sort of groups doing things what is it when we sort of see that movement just with a single person
0: well it really allows you to see the character of the dancer so mm-hmm. you know his the way that he does the movement the way that he kind of like chooses to flip his hair like and that sort of thing and and the way that you know he'll stop and just call attention and make sure that everyone's looking make sure little wink and then continue on with sure. the next phase of the piece so it's it does allow you to sort of absorb the personality a bit more and with um, such sort of like dynamic and interesting movement it really did hold the attention whereas the first piece was a little bit more cryptic I didn't really I, I wasn't really engaged the entire time I was, mm. just didn't yeah sure yeah. But so Concerto was really pretty to watch. Um, and then the final piece was called Fighting Chance. It was choreographed by Noam Gagnon, who we know from uh, Holy Body Tattoo and cool. all sorts of other very cool things. And this was, this was a piece about a boxer. Um, so the stage technicians to start the piece actually go out and tape a red square, which is sort of like the ring right on the right. stage. Um, and he starts out. Uh, the The movement in this was really frenetic, um, very... It was very sharp and punchy like, you know, you would be during a boxing match. But also I feel he did a really good job of showing, um, like, the nerves and the shakes that happened before, like, something that has so much pressure to it. Okay. Uh, interesting choice was to wear a hood for over his face for almost the entire time. So you didn't really get to see the face. It was mostly just in the movement. And we all know what happens when a dan- when dancers cover up their faces.
1: What, what happens? You
0: really watch the rest of their bodies. Ah. <laughs> um. And their bodies become more expressive. Almost, it's just just sort of it feels like a natural thing that your brain does. It just kind of compensates because you can't see your face. So they're like really asking yourself, "What does this feel like to him?" Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so in in that way, I it was it was kind of like a heavy piece, a little bit angry, but also aggressive and just kind of, and strong. Like you felt like you were watching someone who was really tough and strong but also there's just kind of like these weird parts where you're like no I think he's scared to death <laughs> sure yeah so
1: was there sort of elements of uh, boxing and sort of incorporated in that in terms of the choreography and the movement
0: yeah yeah a lot of it um, a lot of it really was the kind of like hopping between the feet you know arms up I don't know boxing terminology very much Nailed but you it. know like yeah. fists up in front of the mm-hmm. face just kind of like well, put them up put them up sure, right <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah so you know the form was definitely there and with the with the hood over the head you could really feel you know that that sort of like MMA kind of like fighting. You know, like the you could almost hear, psyched the, up, yeah, yeah, yeah it was getting psyched up. So, and it, that's what it, what it really was. It was a psychological amping up, and you could see it working in the body, working. And then he would get into the ring, and there was you know. The fight, but it didn't. What I, I don't think that they actually portrayed the fight, I think that it was mostly just the solo of him like psyching up, imagining sure, yeah. the fight, you know, mm-hmm. and and like, yeah, maybe that's I, I should learn more about boxing before I talk about these things. Oh, but it was great to watch. It was it, all three pieces showed very different types, types of movement, and so you really saw the Beamish's range, um, and his physical ability in it. So, in that way, it was it was um, pretty interesting to see.
1: Great, yeah, the, the showcase. Of the the myriad talents of of uh, Joshua Bean. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. You throw that kid into anything, I'm sure he could do it. Right,
1: right. <laughs> okay. um, cool. And then so the last thing we saw was the Jabberwocky, which was presented by Theater Network. It's the uh, the first piece in their official uh, their main stage season, and uh, yeah, is presented by the the Old Trout Puppet Workshop, who have been here myriad times before, um, and yeah, as the name implies, uh, use puppetry but always in really interesting ways. Um, They really explore what that means and what the range of that can be. Mm -hmm. Um, Whatever story they choose to sort of hang that on, it's sort of always told in this really interesting way.
0: Yeah. So in a a typical old Trout show, you might see them, you know, not wearing puppets like typically on their hands and, -hmm. and, you know, like manipulating marionettes. But they'll, you know, one of their legs will have like a half a costume strapped to it and they'll walk around the stage and that, that costume on the leg will become a character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Um, It's funny in my mind to think of a typical old trout show. Oh, yeah. Just in terms of no, uh, (laughs) but just like in terms of that as a as a concept, because they do constantly sort of push into different different ways and what that, that can be, as, as you sort of acknowledge. It could be the leg. It can be something else. It can be uh, all of these things. And in this, this show with the Jabberwocky, it really, uh, to me, felt like a lot of the really interesting puppetry was was playing with perspective, mm-hmm. especially in the, the first, like, 20 minutes or so. Uh, it's based on the Lewis Carroll poem, as the name implies, the yeah. Jabberwocky, but in sort of a, uh, a very extrapolated way, it felt. Um
0: yeah, I, I so Jabberwocky is a poem that appears within Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, I
1: believe so, um,
0: and it's it's a nonsense poem, so it works. Fantastic for a puppet company that tour all over the world. They they're not necessarily doing shows for English audiences everywhere, mm-hmm. so they're a they and they tell their story through pantomime, mime, puppetry, what have you. Um, and the Jabberwock. So how did they present this story of the Jabberwock? I felt like that it really was the the setup in the first twenty minutes that really brought it home. <laughs>
1: sure. So it's sort of like, uh, it's like um, those first 20 minutes, we see sort of this little glowing, well, we, it starts with sort of a, a very Monty Python-ish bit of sort of a drum roll that keeps going and keeps going and then stops <laughs> yeah. and then keeps going and then keeps going and then it stops. And then some people like hushedly run in in the background and find who's drumming and like take them out and <laughs> uh, and then start the show. Um, yeah. So it sort of traces like from a single cell, this glowing um, spot of maybe talent maybe destiny who knows what it's uh, its intent, but it sort of goes and then it sort of becomes connected to more cells and then becomes connected to uh, this rabbit uh, these rabbit characters are sort of our are the world we 're playing in is sort of, of anthropomorphic rabbits yeah
0: it 's like a family of white rabbits yeah. Like, you know, it's- and so they,
1: uh, this rabbit falls in love, and um, and uh, we see uh, coital action. We see portrayed. conception. Yeah, we see conception and, and
0: birth of, yeah. of 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 the new the baby the baby mm. white rabbit. Yeah,
1: and then it it becomes mm-hmm. sort of this this family, and and the idea of on the radio in this world is the talk of who will slay the Jabberwocky, and in this this terrifying creature that that is out there, and and so Papa Rabbit. Decides it's going to be him. Oh man!
0: Oh man! Here he but, goes. But
1: then leaving, you know, uh, baby rabbit, who's our our protagonist. I would I would argue in terms mm-hmm. of the the main thrust of the story, uh, to to reconcile with the idea of legacy. And and is this part of one's destiny to go slay this this mythical beast? Yeah, and so to mm-hmm. take after after his father's footsteps and see where that goes.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it sort of it follows since this you know this this baby is born. It kind of picks up right on that the the traditional hero myth, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've got you've got your your child. It's usually a boy mm-hmm. um, born with some you know. Inexplicable talent or force or something like that um, has a strange relationship with his father who is Mm -hmm. either there or completely absent. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this story, he does both. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, goes on, journeys away, slays some dragons, maybe does some things, learns about life, returns and then settles down. So, I mean, it's your, it's your, you know... Typical it, it, like Hercules, Jesus, Luke Skywalker. It, this it is, is the story. it is the monomyth. Like yeah. it
1: is that that telling. Yeah. Um and and I think with a show like The Jabberwocky and a company like the Old Trouts, it's the the joy is in the in the telling of that story and mm-hmm. how it's told and the spectacle of that. In those first twenty minutes, this wordless sequence of going from this single blob of light to, to conception yeah. uh, is, is so wonderfully shown and delightful and there's a, I think maybe the best illustrative uh, example that's easy to talk about rather than see is maybe the the breastfeeding oh,
0: moment. Oh, the breastfeeding joke. It was yeah. like so much set and costume and everything for like a two minute long breastfeeding yeah, joke.
1: Yeah, where, where you know, we see sort of like these, uh, these set pieces are carted out that give us the sense that like we are in the perspective of the mouth. Of the babies mouth yeah, yeah with this tongue and then a giant breast comes out and then uh, a character emerges as the milk <laughs> and sort of walks into this mouth and then two um crab like characters who shout enzymes yeah uh, they're
0: obviously the enzymes <laughs> right
1: break break down that milk and yeah. sort of this this strange and surreal and beautiful sequence that's uh, told wonderfully and and clearly for a mostly wordless tale i would say like not, yeah. most of mm-hmm. this was uh, words were used sort of to accent things radio et cetera, rather than um or like to make a little clown like point on like this is what's happening we're yeah. enzymes
0: mm-hmm. We're um, enzymes or every, and every so often yeah on the radio or later on the tv mm-hmm. um there's this call back to the jabberwock yeah. um the monster you know and what was funny is that um as soon as i got home Uh, you know, someone asked me, they're like, Oh, wow, what did the Jabberwock look like? Because they're they know it's the old trouts, and everything is so visually rich about these shows. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Actually, you didn't see the Jabberwock at all, yeah, because we don't, you know. So, what is what do you think the Jabberwock is, Paul? What is this show trying to tell us? The
1: Jabberwock is. Inside us all,
0: um, you know, it's it's this idea. I think to me,
1: what came across was this idea of the these quests, and we were raised, and you know, based on what our parents tell us and our world tells us, we're given this idea of what we're supposed to do. We have to go do this thing, and then we'll be great. Um, and then, and but maybe maybe the most important thing you can do is is care for the people around you, and and look mm. at whatever sort of slice of the world is yours, and and take care of it. So so yes, we go to the the city, we. We. This character goes to the city. They sort of lose track. They get a Joe job, um, a sort of dead end Joe job. They find they find love or or something uh, something like it. Uh, but then they they're unsettled. They leave again. They they and they are eventually welcomed back after sort of leaving again. Um, but we, and then you and know, reconciles with his father. Yeah, it reconciles with his father Spoiler. in a really sort of heartbreaking way of sort of like looking yeah. at the realities of this old this old character and what does it look like um to take care of someone who's yeah. who's that old and it's
0: the cycle of life, right? Mm. It comes right back around to that old age and now he's caring for it. Right. But, yeah.
1: And then and then with a, a new child entering the picture, we yeah. sort of the last the last shot of this this show sort of has this glowing uh returns to that single glowing cell and the idea that this is something that's now passed along in
0: the new baby baby yeah uh so the i mean technically what is happening in the show is incredible mm-hmm. um they the amount of investment and craft and, yeah. <laughs> that goes into each of these you know like sight jokes yeah um are just incredible so there's throughout the piece they're constantly changing scenes and a lot of times they're doing it through these sort of like what I saw described in the program as a Victorian toy theater style. Sure. So yeah. So they actually have all of these scenes and set pieces and characters, like the classroom scene, mm-hmm. for example, um, when the little guy he's in he's being bullied at school. Yeah. You know they have each character in class on like a, as a stick puppet, and. And it's like really neat because then you know you have your you have not only the puppet rabbit who is played like actually most one of the most traditional puppets is the toddler boy mm-hmm. sure um, yeah or the toddler boy rabbit mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so you know he's a, a marionette that's kind of being carried around through some of these scenes and he does the little sword fighting and stuff mm-hmm. and then you see him change to a stick puppet in the classroom mm-hmm. to match with the rest of the class yeah and so you know there's the, yeah it's just the amount of stuff that they take with them. I I can't believe they tour these shows. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. The, the sheer like
1: the sheer volume of of, of set piece and of equipment. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, but and yeah, then like uh, partly for in parts of it, sort of they're humanized in the sense of um, the puppetry is sort of the, a very detailed rabbit character head mm-hmm. on top of someone, sort of in a suit, sort of on their head, so you can see. Um, you can see there that they're doing these things. It's not about mm-hmm. – with a, I think especially with the old charts, it's not about no seeing no strings. It's understanding yeah. sort of that the strings are there and this is how they're being manipulated and used. And there's a joy in that yeah. in getting to see how they – you know how they do all these things mm-hmm. on those sort of painted sets that are on these sheets that are sort of like cartable around the stage but there are these hand cranks to turn them to the next scene and oh, these God, yeah. huge canvas sheets just move and move and even that becomes sight gags of when like someone has to really yeah they're these like they're, on they're called
0: they're I, they're reading in the program here they're called scrolling panoramas mm-hmm. so they're actually like panoramic scenes on scrolls that are just actually being and yeah and they the way they have to speed through the hand crank like of course there's a joke at at some point in there about like switching off you got to keep yeah, yeah. keep the Someone scenery moving
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there's like yeah and that's maybe one of the joys in this show and in, in a lot of i think old trout uh, works that that we've seen is it's yeah it's not about hiding the technique it's about showing it mm-hmm. and and there's a real joy in getting to see people so good at technique doing that technique.
0: Yeah. And the other remarkable thing I think about like great, great puppet work or great mask work is mm-hmm. that, you know, the you know that that rabbit mask never actually changes. It is the same one the entire time but there is so much nuance and expression that is added just with the body posture that you know, or or even just the tilt of the head, the way the light hits it, like oh, they, you
1: feel what these that rabbit's feeling. Look
0: alive! Like there were moments where I was I was tearing up, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, oh!" You know, all the moms in the audience, right? with, right. <laughs> with right. the baby, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was just it, the yeah, this incredibly emotive, you know, all all the pathos, <laughs> like, all yeah. the
1: pathos. and mm-hmm. this is the world premiere. This is where uh, the Jabberwocky's yeah. starting before it hits the road for for a while.
0: Yeah, this was this was great. I, I yeah, Jabberwocky. I think it was probably my favorite Old Trout show I've seen Ooh. since Famous Puppet Death Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right, yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely uh, among
0: among their finest works. Yeah, well, the great thing, well, because we're, I think we were talking about this before, is that the success of famous puppet death scenes was that they had all these like really strong vignettes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, single scenes like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, here's you know, a bunch
1: of puppet mm-hmm. deaths in myriad ways that let them show this technique and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's how they succeeded in this show too, is that they were a, they broke up this this rabbit story into so many like so many great parts, and each one had that. Payoff. Yeah, so that was Jabberwocky. It plays at Theater Network, which is the new theater network, uh, the Roxy Young Gateway, Mm -hmm. until November 26th. That's right. And now, what else are we doing? We're Paul, talking about
1: next? we're talking about some listings. What's coming oh, up? Yeah,
0: yeah. So first up, uh, coming up immediately next week is a Convergence, the Good Women's annual showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a double bill of new works by Calgary choreographer Megan Michalski and Kate Stashko of the Good Women as well. So and that runs November sixteenth to eighteenth at Looney Theatre. Great. And after that, oh yeah, after that is Family Dinner. Hmm. Yes. What's cooking, Fonda, (laughs) about that show? Uh, So Family Dinner is uh, Mile Zero Dance is presenting Justine Chambers from Vancouver. The show is kind of interesting. They're building it over two days with a set called Family Dinner Mm -hmm. where there's an audience of 10 who are going to be there each night having dinner with Justine and her mother. And... um. After those two days, so that's November 30th and December 1st, Mm -hmm. after those two days is the actual show, Justine Chambers in Lexicon. So over the family dinners... I guess what's going to happen is that all of the people who are participating in dinner are going to be uh, inform the movement vocabulary for what Justine will be presenting on December 2nd and 3rd at Mile Zero Dance. Cool. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go eat <laughs> dinner with yeah. them on November 30th, and then I'm going to go check out the show on the weekend.
1: Great. What are we seeing on Wednesday, Fonda?
0: Oh yeah, that's right. What are we seeing on Wednesday, Paul?
1: Uh, we're seeing a show called Hades Town, uh, which is happening at the Citadel Theater, uh, based on uh, an album by uh, Anais Mitchell. That's sort of a retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice, the Greek mythology, but sort of giving it like a, my understanding is a Tom Waits sort of sheen, oh, yeah. um, and has gone from an album to now a a piece of theater, a piece of musical theater um, that is sort of making buzz. It's sort of Edmonton is a stop en route to Broadway for it it's so it's quite
0: a big coup for Edmonton theater to mm-hmm. just they yeah they did their first uh, uh, premiere of it and it was really successful and then they were like well let's bring it to Edmonton to the Citadel, before it goes to Broadway because we're just a huge theater town and uh, they're gonna like we're gonna love it right <laughs> sure so so we'll
1: see so we're seeing that this week and we'll see if we love it.
0: Yeah. And then the rest of the season is all Nutcracker. So we'll, you know, (laughs) buckle up. (laughs) We're going to try and find some kids who want to review the Nutcracker with us. So if you have any children you would like to send our way who might like the Nutcracker, I think that would be really fun to do.
1: Great. Well, that's that's about it around these parts for now (laughs) for now. So uh, go see some go see some shows, everybody. Yeah.
0: Bye. I Don't Get It is produced by Paul Blenow, Fonda Mithras, and Andrew Paul.
1: It was recorded at the Edmonton Community Edmonton. Foundation in beautiful Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.
0: Our website is idontgetityag.com. Our Twitter is at Yeg. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes and support us through Patreon.
1: Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Check out more of Ghibli's music at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sitting here thinking. Sitting here thinking. Sitting here thinking.